This podcast is Challenging Opinions and is presented by William Campbell. Thank you for downloading the Challenging Opinions podcast for April 3rd, 2017. Since the Trump victory, there's been a lot more focus on people that were previously seen as fringe to the political mainstream. Some people have said that white nationalism is just a code word for racism. This podcast is part one of a major two-part interview with a leading figure in the movement. Challenging Opinions is the podcast where ideas are tested. Whether you are left or right, conservative or progressive, devout or skeptic, what matters is the strength of your argument, not the strength of your voice. Make your view heard and get it included in the next show. Email your opinion to podcast at challengingopinions.com and we can discuss it in the next podcast. On the line, I have Nathan D'Amigo. He's the founder of Identity Europa. Um, Nathan, would it be fair to call you a racist? <laughs> I don't think so. And actually, uh, usually when I hear that term and terms like it, they're oftentimes just used to undermine legitimate European interests. In fact, I, I actually see that uh, you know people, when they ask that question, usually they're being very disingenuous and, and using it really um, in a very loaded way. And, well, I'm asking uh, I think you straight I up. Very much, yeah, I, I think I could very much ask that question right back in, uh, in another way, which is, William, are you anti-white? Absolutely not. I am white. But that's a different well, uh, question. But, but, and I'm asking the questions. Yeah. But okay. um, is, nevertheless, your uh, organization, which you founded, Identity Europa, is very much focused on what is called white identity. Is that correct? Uh, yes, on um, not only identity for people of European heritage, but also uh, to, to advocate for our interests uh, based on that shared demographic. And what are those interests that are what interests are shared by that demographic demographic and not by people outside it? Well, I think for one, uh, there is right now mass immigration that is occurring across the West that is happening not only here in America, but also uh, in Europe. And I do not believe that that is something that is a good thing for us. I don't believe that that is a good thing for America. I don't believe that that is a good thing for Europe. And if we look at the social science, it has been very well established that as racial, ethnic, and uh, religious uh, heterogeneity increases within a social system, people become withdrawn. Uh, they get into much more radical politics. The amount of social currency and tr social trust within a social system begins to break down. So... Uh, this is something that I don't think is not only not going to be good for us, this is something I don't think is going to be good for the people immigrating here either. That may or may not be the case, but surely that's for them to decide. Um, you don't have anything remotely approaching mass support, even amongst the people you claim to represent. Isn't that true? Um, I would, in a way, disagree with that. I, I would say that actually... Um, uh, disagreement with mass immigration has uh, has always had very large support. If you look at the statistics and you look at the actual amount of the population that would like to 
reduce or, or limit the already massive amount of, of immigration that we have. Um, uh, immigration is actually a, a very popular uh, topic, and I think it's why we're seeing the rise of, of populism and nationalism in countries across the West. I believe it's why Donald Trump was elected. I don't think he was elected um, because of foreign policy and some of the other things that uh, he supports or the positions he's taken on them. Uh, what it really boils down to is is immigration. There is um, there is this uh, feeling amongst uh, amongst us that uh, what is happening right now is not going to be good. It's not going to be good for our children. Um, and that this is something that people want to stop. So while people may not support us, I would say directly, uh, many of the things that we advocate for are actually widely supported. Well, by let's, the let's, let, let me just examine that. And uh, for example, you, I'm going to put aside for a moment um, what you're saying about the benefits or disadvantages of immigration. I might get back to that. But the United States is not even remotely uniracial and has never been. How is the interest, for example, of African-Americans or Latino-Americans who've been there since before the United States was founded, how is that represented by your organization? And if not, why not? Well, I would have to say that uh, their experience here hasn't been a very good one for starters, and I don't think that it's magically going to be to start being a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not because I desire any uh, ill will towards towards them or, or who they are. But this is just something that has uh, been historically an issue. And, um, and I think that there is uh, also something that uh, tends to be overlooked when we look at these sort of things. Now, to go back as far as uh, what you were saying about America being racially homogenous, um, up until about the the 1960s, up until about uh, the mid mid to late 1960s, America was 90% European. So it was populated by uh, a race of people. It was is very actually homogenous uh, nation. Now there may have been different European ethnicities uh, that were here, yeah, so but what? racially it was homogenous. Yeah, so what? And so, well, give me some time and I'll get to that. Sure. So. Uh, so basically, after we we essentially had what was uh, an an immigration act passed after 1965, that um, basically the people who were passing it said that there would be this immigration act would just make uh, people who were trying to immigrate a little bit easier. It wasn't going to change the amount of immigration by more than five to ten thousand people. Um, Sure, and, and that, immig- immigration uh, has increased considerably since then. Yes, but the, and, the, and so the bottom line, the bottom line a, is, a no, well, Nathan, let me put this to you. The bottom line is that I think you're at least partially correct in what elected Trump. But the bottom line is competition for resources, that there is always friction between groups, however you define them, and that's, in my view, largely arbitrary, but there's always friction between groups when there is competition for resources, and it's very notable that the um, unexpected support for Trump came from places that have not done economically well out of globalization. The bottom line is that workers in, for example, Wisconsin, Michigan, places that unexpectedly switched to Trump, 
are going to have to compete with workers from China uh, and from other, uh, perhaps not third world, but less developed economies. Whether those workers are physically located in the United States or not is almost a secondary issue, isn't it? Well, if we're if we're shifting pace to the matter of um, free markets and whatnot, I think that's a whole another issue as far sure, as it's, it's a whole other is issue. Concerned. But just 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 address that direct point that given how globalized our society is, the bottom line is that those workers who might have made uh, electronics or cars or you know light engineering products in the United States had not so well educated jobs. They weren't management. They were largely people who were skilled manual workers. Those people are going to have to compete with people in um, less developed countries. And there's no way around that. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to, well, they're going to, they, they don't have to, if we, if we choose to change that. And and I think part of the, the issue with this is, uh, that, yeah, they are having to compete with countries that uh, basically have uh, slave slave wage labor. They do not have workers' protections. They have children working in factories. And I think much of this is really disgusting, to be honest. And true. I think and, and that's, that's, true. That that, that's true in the particular. But if iPhones are made in China, not in the United States, and the factory that makes iPhones is operated to very high standards. And you're, you are correct that there are some places, uh, in Asia, for example, that have very low standards. It's not in the high profile and indeed high profit factories. It tends to be in very marginal places. But the reason I bring that up is because you're, you're correct. And I think your analysis is actually correct to say that the only way to prevent the average Joe American, the type of person who switched from the Democrats to vote for Trump, the only way to protect them from having to compete with workers, for example, in Asia, is by cutting off the United States economically from those places, putting up essentially an economic wall, which Trump has talked about, although it's difficult to make out what he's, he's, he's intending to do. But that would be catastrophic, both for the American economy and the world economy. Well, I, I mean, I think part of this, though, is we, we're already in a scenario that has has created something that's going to be catastrophic either way. So there's Such really as- no, I think, I think there's really no a- avoiding what we've gotten into. I think Vox Day actually talked about this a little bit on your program mm-hmm. uh, the other week. Which was when he was he was saying, you know, we've gotten ourselves into such a such a great amount of, of debt that at some point someone's going to uh, have to grab that that stinging nettle, uh, whether it's Trump or not. I, I, you know, I don't know if it'll be him. I don't know if it'll be someone that comes after him. But the debt problem is very serious. And that's that's true. But it's not specifically related to this. Isn't it the case that I'm talking to you using a computer, using a microphone, using uh, various electronics. None of that would exist without globalization. And if you want to tell the American workers that they will not have to compete with workers in Asia, as was the case in the 1960s and 50s, then we will have to wind back technology and wind back living standards by 50 years as well. Isn't that true? No, I don't. 
believe that's true at all. Um, we, <laughs> uh, we can make our own computers. We can build our own things. Now, is that going to mean that um, the standards of living are going to perhaps decline for a little while? Sure, but I, they're declining already. Um, and, you know, I, I, I kind of I see where you're going here. I know with this whole economic argument that we have um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool to keep having it. But I, I do want to emphasize that the point of our group is to focus uh, on European identity and uh, in the long run what our interests are. So, in, in absolutely. Order to, in and, order, and, and I want to get, I get I want to, Nathan, Nathan, I do want to get onto the identity. Yes. I do want to get onto the identity mm -hmm. part of that. And I think that's important to discuss. But I just want to set the ground on that. And I just want to say that. Well, I can't, can't really get into that until I lay the groundwork for that. Does okay. that make sense? Fair like, enough. there's a whole tell series me, tell, of things tell me we why have you think, to discuss. Tell me why you think then European identity is important. Well, I think, well, I think for multiple reasons. One is that, uh, and, and I think one is, is, is something that we see a lot, which is, is racial inequality within society. And, you know, one of the things I, I came to and I realized a very long time ago is that um, I may have uh, perhaps a very good critique, perhaps even a scientifically accurate critique of the problems of different um of different communities, of the problems of here in America, we have many uh, people of Amerindian heritage, we have people of African heritage, um, you you in, in Europe have many people of, of Middle Eastern and uh, African heritage as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, this has been a question that's, I think, arisen on, on both sides of the pond for us. And it's one that we've begun to discover that uh, is, is a conversation that uh, we haven't really been able to have, uh, at least honestly, for a number of different reasons. Here in America, uh, that reason would be uh, social ostracism, but more importantly, uh, economic disenfranchisement. Uh, if, if you have an opinion that is different from the mainstream narrative, you will actually uh, lose your job. There are no workers' protections. So even though here in America we have a free speech uh, amendment in our own constitution, that does not protect you from your employer. And essentially, um, it, it was never know, intended if you to. House, if you have a, if you have a house, if you have a car, uh, and so on and so forth, and um, you know, well, well, this. But what I'm saying is, this becomes a problem. This becomes a problem in in dealing with social issues if we cannot talk about them and have a real honest conversation about them. This becomes a very serious problem. And so whether it was ever intended to or not, I think now is the time to realize that this is a problem. And I think that uh, if there was anything uh, that Trump could do, I would I would love to see him uh, put in place protections uh, for basically – political groups from being fired for their employer for having uh, what is uh, conceived of to be a, a non, you know, non-correct uh, opinion. Okay, so uh, just to just explore that, Nathan, just explore that. You're saying that if somebody was a member, for example, of, let's say, a white nationalist movement, they shouldn't be fired from their job for that reason. Would you extend that to the Communist Party or to the Black Panther Party? As long as they are able to function at work, 
uh, as long as they are able to do their job and as long as they 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 are not um, you know using the office place to pr- you know project their their political ideas then yes I, I I think so and do you think in the U.S. The, if you were to count up the number of people who were fired let's say for being associated with the Communist Party uh, or associated with uh, the Black Panthers compared to people who were fired for uh, say being associated with um, racist or white nationalist, however you want to call it, uh, movements, uh, who's suffering more there? I, I have no clue. I couldn't tell you the statistics on that. Okay. You, you can understand that a lot of people would imagine that um, there's never been uh, committees set up to in Congress to attack and harass uh, uh, members of your organization. Say that again? There has never been a McCarthy committee set up to attack your organization or its its uh, various allies. That's fine. Uh, many people are fired on a constant basis from their jobs. So uh, that's... That's a that's a very serious problem. And, and that's the reason why we can't have an honest conversation. So, you know, even if we just look at at at, uh, you know, narratives and, and uh, dialogues, this is, I believe, uh, one thing that is at the root of the issue. Now, whether or not uh, we'll be able to remedy that, I don't know. But I think this gives us a, a good place to start. And this also will lead us into the next thing that I would like to talk about, which is identity. L- let me comment on that then before we get on to that, because mm-hmm. I, this is actually one point that I at least slightly agree on. Uh, agree with you. Even if you might be overstating it about people being fired, I think you're right that not everywhere, but in a lot of places, perhaps in the large metropolitan areas, the opinions that you give or even opinions that are considerably more moderate are socially unacceptable. And even if they might not lose their job, people probably feel pressured not to express those opinions. I think if you lived in some other locations, you'd probably feel pressured not to be black, which is rather more difficult thing than just keeping your mouth shut. But nevertheless, I think that what is being described there probably isn't helpful because where you have a movement or a an opinion in society that is not getting expressed that can cause a build up of pressure and and uh, i think it's best that all political exp- uh, opinions are expressed and examined so that's why i'm talking to you to that extent i agree with you i I'm, uh, i don't know how serious uh, what you might call discrimination it is i certainly don't think it's the most serious demonst- discrimination but i do think it's damaging and i and i think it, it uh, would be better if it didn't exist however that is achieved in any case move on to identity because you wanted to talk about that yeah um well, one of the things I, I realized very early on was was some of the conversations about race that I was interested in having. I began to realize that uh, people would take, you know, my critique of of the current narrative of of racial inequality, uh, and they would kind of project their own emotions onto me. And instead of actually taking my argument for what it was, they would actually take it for an attack on mm-hmm. uh, another group of, of, of people. I, and I, I understand, but did, did you say something that, that, that rings a couple of bells say, for people in, and they then assume a whole set of other opinions on your part? Is that what you're saying? They, they project their own feelings onto, onto me and onto other individuals who think, are, are critical of, of the current narrative of, do you, do you of think inequality. That's, do you think that's perhaps because people who are sometimes simply violent thugs 
share or at least mouth the same sort of things that you say? I think it's because most people are incapable of being intellectually honest, <laughs> to, to be quite frank. Um, yeah, I, I think there's very few people that can actually uh, approach something, uh, approach a scenario just completely disconnected from it and just see it for what it is. I think, uh, you know, the human mind and uh, human behavior is, is not simply singular, it's plural, it's human behaviors. And, and we have, you know, some people uh, simply are unable to have conversations about things uh, because they're uh, essentially emotionally compromised. They, they can't have a conversation without uh, kind of breaking down emotionally. Uh, and many times they will attempt to shut down the conversation because they cannot control it. Um, Sometimes that's a result of them just not having the words to use to express what they're trying to say. Um, but, uh, you know, that is also another thing that uh, that can do, definitely be Do you think, Nathan, that it's a, a parallel? A parallel might be um, when, for example, millions of people were dying in uh, gulags in the Soviet Union. Somebody who said, uh, I'm a communist from an intellectual point of view, and uh, I agree with these particular economic policies, even though I don't support violence or revolution in the United States, would feel the opprobrium and would be guilty by association of the crimes of, of the Soviet Union. Is it parallel to that? Um, I, I, I'm not sure I, I get what you're really putting down there. My saying is that I, I get the point that you're trying to put forward a, mm -hmm. a, a what you believe is a well-constructed argument, but it is a well-constructed argument that shares many elements with people who are simply violent, murderous thugs it's not entirely irrational for people to say, hang on, this is the same thing that violent murderous thugs are saying. Well, you know, we've just witnessed for the last several decades, um, you know, you, you could say George W. Bush was a violent murderous thug who went on, uh, you know, multiple rampages throughout the Middle East. And that's in many ways, Obama continued that legacy throughout the Middle East, toppling governments and uh, creating uh, situations that ended in a uh, horrible tragedy of, of literally millions of people being killed across the Middle East. So, um, you know, we can do this with every ideology if you want to we can do this yeah, but with you democracy can do it more we with can do some. this with um uh, that's that's true i mean uh the communists believe in inequalities and so do uh so do so does our contemporary culture has this uh this equality fetishism in trying to make every demographic equal to each other and if they are incapable of and and, and part of this this ideology it operates on the assumption that people can be made equal. Uh, so it's very much built on an assumption. And then when that doesn't happen, when that doesn't happen, we, we scapegoat the other group of people who's more successful than, than the other group. And, and it does end in tragedy very often. Okay, um, but Nathan, that what, that's whatever, whatever about very the, the much tragedy? In South Africa recently, there's been 30 to 60,000 people who have been killed and, and murdered uh, across South Africa. And uh, the people, the, the South African people, the, uh, the black South African people were told that, you know, the reason why you're not seeing the same level of success is because, uh, is, is just simply because, uh, you know, white people are oppressing you. That's, that's the only reason there's racial inequality. And, uh, and, and now they've, they've gained control of, of their country. Uh, things are far worse than they ever were. And, uh, in many cases, uh, the, the now, uh, you know, 
white population of, of South Africa is having that taken out on them. So, yes, it, it, it seriously is a problem, and we can do this with every ideology. Okay, but uh, Nathan, Nathan no, no, let me address this point specifically. In South Africa and in uh, perhaps more in the past and more in some areas than others, there was straight up racist murders were really quite common. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, there definitely was. I would not disagree and, with that. And one bit. that may have reduced significantly, but it does still exist. And if you're a black person in the United States, then clearly you, the like the likelihood of being murdered is reduced and relatively small. But the likelihood of petty harassment, which has the same origin, is quite significant and you put that uh you know you have a lifetime of that that can build up a lot of resentment i want to ask you straight up sure. do, do would you condemn so, so without, would you condemn so all of that is definitely created a, a problem there i would say and well, hold, we hold see on for a second is it the racism that it? is the problem or or, or the the homogenous systems if we look at this if we look at the data uh one of the one of the main factors, it's not the only factor, but one of the main factors uh, for seeing a high level of social trust, a high level of a sense of community um, is, is uh, you know, racial, ethnic and, and religious um, homogeneity. Th those are things that uh, again and again. Uh, this is this is what the this is what the data tells us. Well, I, I'm not so. sure that it is, but it, it, I want to ask you straight up: there is racial prejudice and violence in the United States. Would you condemn that without reservation? Have you read a blog post or an opinion piece that you think is really right or really wrong? Tell us why. Email podcast at challengingopinions.com and let's discuss it on the next show. If you want to hear Nathan's answer, you'll have to wait until next Monday for the second part of that interview, because that's all for the Challenging Opinions podcast, published on April 3rd, 2017. I have links in the show notes to Nathan D'Amigo's website and blog. Do you know someone who I should interview? What topics should I be covering? I'd really be interested to hear your feedback. And if you like the podcast, there's one thing that you could do that could really help other people to find it. Go on iTunes and give the podcast a rating and write a short review. There's a link on the website directly to the iTunes page. Also, please like the show on Facebook. On Twitter, you can follow the show at Challenging O. You can also follow Nathan D'Amigo at Nathan D'Amigo. But most important of all, please subscribe to the show. It's free. You can use iTunes if you have an Apple product or Google Play Music if you're on Android. There's links for both of those and the RSS feed if you use that. You can find them and get in touch with me at www.challengingopinions.com. Coming on Wednesday, that's April 5th, I'll have the British writer Rob Lyons talking about the food we eat. And as I said on next Monday, April 10th, I'll have the second part of that interview with Nathan D'Amigo. The Challenging Opinions podcast is produced and presented by me, William Campbell. Thank you for listening.